0: The reality about legacy, it's really not about you. Um, some people think it's like it creates this attention on yourself and I don't know that I want that, I don't know that I need that, I'm gonna be gone anyway, so what does it matter? But your legacy, when you think about it, it's really not about you. It's about the impact that your work in the world has for, for others. Um, so it's, it's really the antithesis about yourself. It's really about what you can do that really impacts somebody over there versus just your life being about you. And we know that we all can be guilty at times of focusing life about us versus somebody else. But um, when, it, when it comes down to your sense of yourself and feeling fulfilled and living a worthwhile life, I think it's, it, it's always other focused.
1: Helping people build ambitious and satisfying careers, businesses, and lives. This is the Influence Ecology Podcast. Now, here is your host, John Patterson.
2: Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world. I'm your host, John Patterson. The co-founder and CEO of Influence Ecology. We are the leading business education in transactional competence. Broadcasting from OHI, California, this is the podcast for you, the ambitious professional who simply wants an advantage. Most of the people that listen to this, they, they don't want to settle for an ordinary life. They want real results, real satisfaction, not just at work, but in every area of life. Our primary feature today is an interview with Sue Romberg of Living Legacies. She not only works with people to capture their life's story, she has a commitment to celebrate their life. Sue's been a member with Influence Ecology since 2010, and her company offers a unique perspective on legacy you'll want to hear especially since we all seem to want to impact the world in some way. You'll hear her own story, and you'll find out more about what a legacy is, and perhaps you'll be surprised to find out what a legacy isn't. After our lecture, we'll hear a talk by co-founder Kirkland Tibbles on the unavoidable conditions of life all human beings face, legacy being one of them, and why there's a hierarchy to satisfying them. You'll hear how so many people may be working on the wrong thing. Sue, it's great to have you on the podcast today.
0: Thank you. I'm happy to be here.
2: <laughs> it's great. Well, I'm looking forward to this conversation uh, and what we all might learn from you, uh, me included. I, I know you've been working on the subject of legacy for some time, but first, I, I want to welcome you to the show and would you tell us just a little bit about you and who you are and how you got into the business of building legacies?
0: Sure. Um, So as you mentioned, I'm a legacy consultant, and I um, have had this passion toward legacy for, for quite a while. I think it goes back at least 20 years that I can think of in the form of legacy. But when I think about my earliest, my undergraduate degree was in occupational therapy. And occupational therapy is focused on people's human performance you know, how they can function given their situation with um, having suffered an illness or some health condition that they have to deal with. And um, occupational science is is the study of humans as occupational beings. So this whole thing about what people do and and how they live out their life has always been in the background um, since early on. And then I would say maybe... 20 years ago, I was doing some other programs, and I, I looked at what was really important about my future, and it was, it was, there was something that, that hit a chord for me about all people making their unique contributions. And if I could live my life toward all people making their unique contributions, that would be a life worth living. So mm. I still hadn't really formulated anything specifically in Legacy at that point. I was working as a director managing outpatient therapy clinics, had gotten away from the day-to-day occupational therapy hands-on treatment, but I was managing clinics and then I was laid off and, and that gave me the opportunity to really rethink and say what do I want to do. Again, legacy was in the background, but it wasn't distinguished as something I was going to pursue, so it took some time. I. Went through some career transition training, really thinking like I have this opportunity to do whatever I want to do. And legacy just surfaced at that point to say I want to do something in that regard. And, um, you know, I dabbled in for a few years in different aspects of it. But I know that even if I keep evolving into what aspect legacy is going to be something that's going to be with me for the rest of my life. Mm. Even if at some point I stop using it as a, as a career direction. There's things I do outside of my work through my church and helping plan Funerals, And I, I had this way to listen to eulogies about how people talk about the lives of the person who passed away. And I think there's, there's got to be a better way to, you know, other than saying nice things about them and they did this and they did that. You know, how can we really capture the contributions they make and, and bring that into the world in a bigger way?
2: Mm, that's really great. I want to go back to one of the things that you said, because I think it'd be useful for all of us to understand a little bit more about occupation. Um in your studies, many people may not have the distinctions that you have for occupation and how people occupy their life. Can you just say a little bit about that? Well,
0: we have different dimensions of our life and we, at different ages, there's an occupation of a child which learns to play and develop friends and take care of themselves and do well in school. And there's occupations um, as teenagers to get along in groups and function at at broader levels take on jobs and responsibility and as adults having successful careers. So there's, there's many different dimensions of our occupations but we all occupy our time and I have to say that through this study with Influence Ecology I've just, I've taken my whole view of legacy to a much deeper level and um, looking at, you know, we study that we're an organism in an environment and so how we occupy ourselves in that environment influences the kind of life we have and the satisfaction we have in life. So The occupational component is, it's important. Like, what are we doing? And if we become focused, if we could become more conscious, I think, of what we're doing with our time, our talents, our monies, our resources, we can really guide the kind of life that we want to have.
2: Do you observe that people are naive about the the potency of how we occupy our time?
0: I do. I do. I think uh, there's a naivete, first of all, how much people can actually control that. You know, I think everybody gets caught up in I've got to do this and I've got to do that for my job and I have to do this for my family we we, we live sometimes like, like we have to for somebody else or for some other reason that isn't our own but you know when it comes down to it we're the ones that guide and direct our lives and um, we can actually focus it much more consciously if we take the time to stop and think about what our aims are and what we really want and then decide, is what I'm doing right now and next week and what I have in my future planned? Is it aiming toward that or is it out there doing lots of things for lots of different reasons and to please people and all those other reasons we do things that doesn't really give us what we want in our life?
2: Mm, Very well said. All right. Well, let's talk a little bit about the study you've done here, you mentioned that um, if you could just briefly say about your own journey here and where did you discover you were naive and and what's transpired since then?
0: I began the program with the priority and practice earlier version, leadership intervention, and that really got me clear. And as a, as a transactional personality of producer, as a person really focused on what I'm doing, it really solidified the the ways to structure and and, I, and manage my time most effectively. In the FOT program, I think that's when I really realized that it was really important for me to pick an area of focus for Legacy, because I had been doing this dabbling and decided I've got to just pick one offer and really kind of develop it and, and make it happen. So I think that helped me to really hone in on developing a program that was really designed and planned out in a way that was going to be effective. If I were going to step back and when I first launched myself in the direction of Legacy, I was really willing to do anything and everything related to Legacy. Anything people would want to do that I thought remotely related to Legacy, I'm like, sure, I'll do that, sure. Uh, You know, whether it was interviews or audios or, you know, I even do some photography, I'm like, well, that's kind of like Legacy. And so I did some photography under that. And so I was just doing a lot of things, but I didn't really have a focus and a direction for how I was going to really develop myself as a legacy consultant. The other thing I, just by my nature, is that I would just, I was always been very independent the way I work and I would do most of the stuff myself, especially being out on my own. And I also having that, I had this strong work ethic that um, that you had to work really hard and that really, working really hard was actually something I was proud of.
2: was um. <laughs> <That is laughs> a funny, we're it's also so like, proud of that. Uh. And
0: at the same time, you know, it's like, I and I would even do, you know, I would even catch myself doing something where I was trying to prove to somebody I was working hard and later I could laugh about it and say, they probably thought it was ridiculous, you know, or I looked yeah. inefficient or something that I was always working. But um, that was one thing. And then the other, I think, was um, we learned the distinctions and the different moves and phases of the transaction cycle as I, I really had collapsed some of those moves and phases like invitation and presentation. And I either didn't really know the difference between them. So I would often obviously act in a way that showed that inter- that um, lack of awareness.
2: Mm. Uh, I want to take us towards this thing we call legacy. And I, I where I want to start is I'd like to have you say a little bit about what we mean by conditions of life. And talk about that for a second, because legacy is one of the conditions of life that we study. So can you say a little bit about conditions of life first?
0: Conditions are the, the situations we have to deal with to, to live our life. You know, and the easiest one to think about is our health as a condition. You know, we go to the doctor and he tells us what's the condition of our health. What state is it in? What? How does, what's the status of it um, for what we need and what we want? Um, so a condition is, is something that is just always there for us to manage, to, and it's something that impacts our life and how we live and the quality of our life.
2: And so the conditions of life that we study here at Influence Ecology, you mentioned the FOT program, the Fundamentals of Transaction program. In that program, we go right to work on the conditions of life that we call WORK, career, money, and health. So you mentioned those. And we go to work on those because those are the conditions that if you don't address, you'll suffer. Uh, if you don't address them, they'll threaten everything else. Anything you want to say about the conditions of life in general?
0: Yeah, I guess you, your point is well taken. That it's, they're, they're not just there, they're unavoidable. And they're, we can't escape the fact that they're there and we can't escape dealing with them. Um, so we have to, we have to take them on. Be, be aware of what that is and what we want in order to um, manage them in a way that's satisfactory to us.
2: It's really great. I'm going to go back to occupation for a second because you mentioned uh, how people occupy their time, how they occupy their life. Uh, we talk about work, which is the activity of life that's the activity of, of doing and we're always going to be doing something so we're always going to be occupying our time in some way shape or form let's talk about how come we can't avoid work uh, any any notes about that cuz it's it is a funny thing sometimes people will say well how come they're unavoidable i don't think i can uh, I, there's things i can avoid how come how come the conditions of life are unavoidable in your perspective
0: we need to move as a human being to stay alive. We need to take action. Action is really the function of a human being. is taking action, and work is what we do with our mind and body. If we if we didn't do that, we would die. I mean, we we wouldn't survive if we don't move and act as a as a person in an environment. Um, and it's it's, it's really un, it's unavoidable.
2: Um, well, let's look at this one. So where I'm headed with this is we 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 have the different conditions of life that we study. Legacy is one of those conditions. And sometimes when we say that a condition is unavoidable or immutable, I can imagine that people might think to themselves, well, some things are avoidable. I don't don't have to address legacy. I don't have to address other conditions of life like politics and so forth. Why would you say legacy is unavoidable?
0: Well, um... We're all going to die someday and be remembered by lots of people. Uh, We can't avoid the consideration of what we will leave behind and how we will be remembered after we're gone. And I think in the background of every human being is wanting to justify their own worthiness in the behaviors and choices that they make in their life. And um, that is pretty substantial. Whether somebody acknowledges it or even is aware of it at different times in their life doesn't really matter. We leave a footprint on the in the on this earth amongst other people, and we impact those people and uh, that impact is is shared by all the people we we meet throughout our life, and that impact uh, matters whether we're aware of it or not that's great so at some point at some point and at some level, people I think do confront their legacy. they may not language it as that, they might say, well. I mean, I think a lot of people say, "What's my life for? What's my life purpose?" There's a lot in the current about what's your life purpose, and but it, when it comes down to it, when we're when we're about on our deathbed someday, and we can look back at our life and say, "You know, I did something worthwhile." I think that's the, that's what we're all hoping to have the opportunity to say at the end. Yeah. Um, yeah. you know, it, it legacy will be judged upon the completion of its life. By the facts and how one chooses to have lived that life, um, and we will be judged by others. But we have an opportunity to shape the narratives that people say about us. Um, you know how how much work we put toward that will vary, and how much time we have, and what level of consciousness and interest, and to be honest, satisfaction in our in our more um, fundamental conditions of life will determine how much energy and time and interest people have at these at these higher level conditions of life, where, where legacy is near the top. If we spend most of our time surviving at the lower level conditions, we may not have had an opportunity to shape that as much. Um, but I think with with people being aware of how these conditions of life are um, even ordered hierarchically in terms of needs and wants that we have to satisfy, uh, that awareness, I think, will p- propel people maybe faster through um, satisfying the other conditions so that they keep, you know, they keep their life expanding and and working towards something that really matters to them, and to other people.
2: Well, I I love this part. I was going to ask you a little bit about this, especially because uh, as we teach it, legacy is an unavoidable condition of life, but it's also what we might refer to as a higher condition. It doesn't mean it's a better condition. It just simply means that it's the kind of condition that may emerge when some of the lower conditions are satisfied. And we find that people tend to move <laughs> move into higher conditions naturally when they satisfy the lower conditions. Um,
0: yeah, and, and I, if I were going to add, um, you know, there's a lot out in the world where people say, I just want to make a difference, you know. They just want to know. And, and people have moments where it's like, oh, I, I, you know, the, the satisfaction they get of really making a difference for somebody. But those are fleeting moments and here and there, and you know what I'm talking about of people really addressing their legacy is, is satisfy all those other conditions that are really more fundamental, because if not, when you get to say you're really putting your time and attention on legacy, if you have a, some kind of breakdown in those earlier conditions, you're going to have to drop it and then go run and fix those other issues. So mm. um, I think that's where the speaking of it in a hierarchical manner comes to fruition is that, you know, if we've got something more dire in front of us, we're going to take go back and handle that before we work on something as um, self-actualizing sort of as legacy is.
2: Yeah. I'm imagining, you know, having to stop and change my tire. Um, exactly. Yeah. Right. <laughs> You're not my thinking car's about your legacy. Down the road, and suddenly I go, stop and change the tire and oh gosh, I don't have a spare so now I got, you know, Uh, Yeah, and you're more uh, worried
0: about not getting hit by a car, another car at that point, than you are worried about your legacy.
2: (laughs) Yeah. All right. So, well said. Um, So, then, you have a a very unique perspective on legacy, I think, because, you know, your focus is so much on that for other people. And you've been studying now here since uh, for four or five years. And so you have a unique perspective on this, and you've been working on this. I know you did some work also uh, on your own, and in, in sort of writing the writing the, the the academic perspective, you could say on legacy and how we might think of legacy. Kirkland did a, a little reading of one of the papers that you wrote on the subject, which I thought was brilliant. I really did. I thought it was extremely brilliant and well put. And I know it's not a public document yet, but you said something so great in the paper about what legacy is and what legacy isn't. And when you talk in your paper about what legacy isn't, I think it's a fascinating thing to say because so many people (laughs) when I think about my early thoughts about legacy, perhaps my teenage thoughts about legacy, you know, maybe I'll have an auditorium named after me when I, you know, in my old age or something. Uh, And I think that's one of the things you point out, uh, isn't what we mean by legacy. So could you say a little bit about what legacy isn't?
0: First of all, I want to say that through my study and reading and um, conversations about it is that legacy is complicated uh, it's a highly complex transaction transactional concern really and it's not reliant. it does not rely on any single measurable component and i think we've tended to isolate it toward one idea um and some of those ideas you know it's like well that, that kind of makes sense but um by itself, legacy is not your history. You know, a lot of times people think, well, I'm from a multi-generational family or I'm a multi-generational family business. That's our legacy. That's our family legacy. But history is what has happened that has led you to that point, and it's what happened and has already happened, and we can't change anything about our history. Um, it's recorded to the degree that it's recorded, um, others can continue to continue to Contribute to the documentation of it, but it, it, our legacy doesn't exist in the past, and um, it may relate to your history, but it's not solely your history. Um, another, another thing that legacy is not is, it, it's not your children, or at least at, at least at this point to say it's not just your children. Um, people give birth to children or adopt children, and they raise them, and they have a huge impact on their lives, but they're going to create their own identity. And um, for example, you know Adolf Hitler probably had children, but we would all agree that his legacy is not his children. We know his legacy to be something else. So the entirety of someone's life is all a factor that contributes to their legacy. Um, legacy is not your name. Again, similarly, there's ways that people are, can be remembered and a, a name can be very impactful in a particular community or a group of people. But looking out about three generations, most names are forgotten. You know, um, the simple illustration of that is: Can you name your eight great-grandparents? <laughs> and and most people cannot. You know, your grand um, the the parents of each of your grandparents is um, even for myself. I'm still challenged on one of them, um, and I'm looking at it. So, a name is a name, and it over time people names get forgotten. Um, And then the example that you mentioned, you know, a a building, you know, a building is a nice way to have a recognition or an honor for some contribution that's made. Typically, it represents some money or some work that's been done that contributed to a cause that the institution decides to use um, to honor that through the name on a building. But it's, again, that building would probably be linked to someone else. It's probably linked to um some other need and if you didn't give the money toward it or didn't name it after you it would be named after someone else so the building itself is really not your legacy it's a recognition certainly it's quite honorable but um it, by itself it's not legacy
2: all right well that's this is what i love about distinguishing what it's not because it often leaves the question well what the heck is it <laughs> you know if it's not my kids if it's not uh, you know, the money I put into that auditorium and I house my name on it, if it's not the, you know, if it's not my good name, you know, so many people spend a life protecting their good name, if it's not my, not my good name, then what is it?
0: Yeah, um, I have to say that I'm still working through the articulation of what it is in a very succinct way, um, but I'll begin by saying a few things. One, um, it is the accumulation of everything about your life, so... The good, the bad, the ugly. Actually, yeah. So it's that, but it, it's definitely um, futuristic. I say it's a it's about a contribution that you have that can actually live on past you. Mm-hmm. So um, you know, and is there is it an offer of help that you can provide to the world that would live on after your after your time? So po- a posthumous contribution of help to others is a simple way that that I'm playing with, but there. I also want to know that it lives on in some objective form so that it, so that it can stand the test of time. When we think of objects, there's no, you know, objects can have a lifetime forever. Um, Is there some way that it can be represented into the, into the future so that that contribution of help gets known and stays and lasts past the people talking about it, um, that it continues to provide help over time?
2: I think in the paper that I read, there was the, mention of someone's name I've never heard of. I would never know this person's name. It's never crossed my lips. It's never been on my mind. But then I think you mentioned the contribution of this person. So who is Ralph Smedley and how come that example? And and tell us about him.
0: Well, Ralph Smedley was the guy who invented the earliest stages of Toastmasters. And we all know, know Toastmasters as a offer that continues to be alive and helping people today in developing speaking skills. Um, but you wouldn't know Ralph Smedley's name at all, um, because his name is not associated with Toastmasters, and uh, many people's contributions may start out you know, as something and evolve into something else, and whether someone knows a history or not, it still is um, considered their part of their legacy, whether their name is known or not.
2: Mm. So the so the guy that started Toastmasters or the gal who invented the paperclip or the, so the, there's objects, there's, you know, Toastmasters might be an endeavor or a movement or a, a kind of thinking or an education or, so there's different ways that we might impact, leave an impact on the world. I'm just trying to summarize this and tell me if I'm right in the way you're thinking about it. So there's different ways we might leave an impact on the world, and they may exist as an object, they may exist perhaps as uh, we study objective spirit, so something that's in our minds an object, like Toastmasters in our minds is a thing, except you can't point to it, right? So there's these things we, we leave in the world, and they go on and they make an impact and they make a difference and nobody may remember us, but we, we know that perhaps we left that, we left the world in a better place. Yes. And th- so that's what you're calling legacy. Yes. Really great. Anything else to say about all that? I just think that's fascinating. But anything else to say? Well,
0: about- I think I, one point I would add is, um, you know, if we talk about legacy being the entirety of your, of your life, I think that maybe the word to add is a worthwhile legacy would be what what, pe- what mm. people are going for because we're all going to leave whatever we leave.
2: Hit Adolf Hitler has a legacy.
0: Right, right. And um, that, that brings out a good point too. It's like, you know, we, there's lots of contributions, but are they ethically sound? Are they to the betterment of other people? Is it a contribution that, you know, made a positive impact versus a negative impact? Um, we might have just, Assume that that was the case, but you know, if you don't, um, you could always find examples of people that could challenge and say, "Well, this is an example here." Hmm. Um, so I think a worthwhile legacy would be towards some good in the world, and that can live on and continue to provide that good help and contribution for the betterment of others beyond your life. When I think of people challenging legacy, there's people that are humble, and the reality about legacy, it's really not about you. Um, Some people think it's like it creates this attention on yourself and I don't know that I want that, I don't know that I need that, I'm going to be gone anyway, so what does it matter? But your legacy, when you think about it, it's really not about you. It's about the impact that your work in the world has for for others. Um, So it's, it's really the antithesis about yourself. It's really about what you can do that really impacts somebody over there versus just your life being about you. And we know that we all can be guilty at times of, focusing life about us versus somebody else. But um, when, it, when it comes down to your sense of yourself and feeling fulfilled and living a worthwhile life, I think it's, it, it's always other-focused.
2: All right, so one of the questions I have about uh, the, the topic is going back to the conditions of life. <clears throat> um, I'm imagining that some people who picked up on what we talked about earlier, the, the lower conditions of life and the higher conditions of life. So if we call legacy a higher condition of life and we call money, say, a lower condition of life or your health a lower condition of life, if I'm not satisfying my money, if you know my money doesn't work, I'm unhealthy, I, I'm stressed, I'm overwhelmed, uh, and so forth, why should I not be at work on legacy? Well,
0: first of all, if, you, if you're not consistent with your work, which is your day-to-day activity that you do to satisfy, you know, for many people that ends up being their source of money. But money, as we know, is more of an ability to have the amount of help and ex- we use it for exchange in many ways to have other areas of our life. I, I can't imagine that people are, I think they're, um, they're kidding themselves to say they're work, they're worried about on a real um, conscious level that they um, don't have other needs. They're probably not satisfied in other needs that really need some attention. Um, yeah. You know, they might say things are fine when they're really, if they really ask themselves, are they really fine? They're not. Um, it doesn't mean to say people aren't doing things that contribute to others without working on their legacy. I mean, people get fulfilled day to day in their work and. relationships to contribute to others so it's not about whether you're contributing to others or not it's it's whether you're organizing your your efforts toward um, leaving something behind after you're gone that that really is impactful and I think that takes a fair amount of focus and work to um, to keep your sustained attention and your and your activity the stuff you know if the primary activities you're doing are related to your legacy you have to have the other ones handled or, or things are going to fall out and you're going to have breakdowns in other areas of your life.
2: So how, how might I go about deciding what I want my legacy to be? Uh, I love that you talked about, you know, occupation, not only just being about how I occupy my time, but it's also perhaps uh, my purpose or what I'm here for, or what I want to leave behind, or, or how does how does one go about you know, let's say I'm I'm someone and and you're consulting me and I don't know what my purpose mm-hmm. should be. What what would you say to me?
0: Oh, there's a lot of questions I'd probably want to have with you. <laughs> um, well, first of all, I'd say tell me about your your life so far. You know, what has your life been about so far, and how satisfying has that been to you? Um, another question I would probably engage with is what do you really care about? Uh, and and have you done something about what you really cared about in that arena yet, or not? Um, it could be that I really care about A, B, C, but I've kind of done that, and that still isn't the thing that I want to be about what my life is about after I'm gone. So then there's like, well, then what else do you care about that you could add? You know, D, E, and F, or just one more thing. That, and and I think you get to the heart of like what really speaks to your heart at a deep level. It's a, oh, that's it. You know. That's the, you know, it's probably going to be the thing that is going to have you well up with tears to say, that's what I really care about. And then, and then, um, another area to look at is, and I don't want to brush over that last statement because that's, it can really take people deep, but, you know, where have you made a contribution and why did you make it? And maybe, maybe there's just more to, to go in that same direction or maybe there's a spin off of that that says it actually takes it deeper. Um, maybe somebody has been a doctor and they 've treated patients well, but there's a particular aspect of medicine that really they're passionate about and that they want to make a discovery on or a treatment approach or a, to, a tool or instrument they're going to develop that could actually help people for the when they're gone that their knowledge and their expertise went into the development of that of that discovery that tool that breakthrough um, Breakthrough in science that would make it all worthwhile for them, and then there's and then there's a target to go after to say either bring that through to fruition um, or to create. They know exactly where they want to go to work.
2: That's that's beautifully said. I I do know people that um, struggle with this quite a bit. Um, I know people that. Uh, are utterly clear about their purpose and what they're out to accomplish and and what kind of impact they want to make through their career, through their family, through their communities, through their churches, and so forth. Um, And then there are people that have no idea and and perhaps even have struggled with that for quite some time. Uh, Any extra things you might say to those people who are struggling with that?
0: I, i There's an exercise that's actually kind of powerful, and it's just one other avenue, and that is, uh, you know, I I call it connect the dots. But you know, if you go back, if you say, well, in the last year, you know, where have you, where have you really been fulfilled or felt like there was a um, a sense of satisfaction with what you've accomplished or contributed, and then you can go back five years, and ten years, and fifteen years, and twenty years, and uh, you know, back to teenager. Sometimes you can really pull a thread. Of what the pattern of what people care about comes through and how it's been expressed at different stages of their life Mm. um and sometimes that works for people to to get a sense about even even at a deeper level what they really care about because it's like well what kinds of things have you done you know what what have you done and where have you where has your focus been and why did you have that focus and you know the the why why was that why is that important to you why was that important to you Um, those why questions a lot of times can, can get at the heart of what people really care about and what they, they're just not okay about if it goes on without something else happening. Um, you know, people, I think particularly as, as we get older and near the, near the last stages of our life, we think, you know, what, how do I justify that my life has been the way it has, or how do I justify that it's been a good life or rationalize that it's been a good life? Um. It's de- it's necessarily it is a conversation that comes up for people to say how what can I do and I I would like to leave No, I made the contribution for something that my life was designed for and I, you know everybody has a unique set of experiences and strengths and 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 situations that they had to deal with that that impact each person on a very unique level in a very unique way.
2: Um, I used to have a way that I would would ask people about their purpose in life um, I would say to them you know imagine you got to speak to the masses and there you were and you had only a couple of sentences to say to the world at some point in life or at the end of your life what would you say Um, so and people often will say something and and I can hear their 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 purpose or their passion in whatever they might say Uh, so I love giving people their own set box moment here on the podcast anything you'd like to soapbox about?
0: Um, Well, I I would say that um, each person needs to own their own contribution. And and it it involves every aspect of their life. Um, Every experience they have and situation they've dealt with contributes to what they can bring to the table and to never cut themselves short in what that contribution can be. And don't worry about how big it is and how broad it is, but just make that contribution and keep making it. And I think... That may be the avenue to people realizing when they feel, what, what they feel like out of giving that contribution um, may lead them to really the direction they want to be for, toward that. End. But, you know, I think we all have many contributions to make too, so I wouldn't, I wouldn't worry about people focusing on what is that. Just keep making it and keep moving forward and keep transacting powerfully and um, your life will be fulfilled.
2: Oh, I really love talking with Sue as her focus on legacy has so much to teach us all. I remember the first time I began to consider this condition of life and how thinking about it now may help me shape how I think and act today. Our Guru Talk today is part of a lecture by co-founder Kirkland Tibbles on the unavoidable conditions of life all human beings face, legacy being one of them and why there is a hierarchy to satisfying them. You'll also hear how so many people may be working on the wrong thing.
3: And we, we've we said all along that the only reason human beings transact is to take care of some condition of life. And we mean that, that, that human beings don't go out there, they don't wake up in the morning, for example, and say, hey, you know, I think I'm just gonna go transact today. I'm gonna go out there and find something to, to transact for. That's just not how it happens. Human beings look to transact for things that take care of their concerns. They want comfort. They want satisfaction in their life. And this whole concept of examining conditions of life has us begin to look at where it is we spend our time, what dominates our thinking, what dominates our acting. And if you observe carefully, what you'll see is that human beings are dominated by certain categories of activity. We've attempted to identify these categories in a particular way. This is an inquiry into those categories. We take them apart for a moment, we examine them and put them back in as a commitment to a transactional whole. A doctor would look at a human body, for example, and may go to work on a particular joint or a particular organ, but if, the, if it isn't put back together, then the body isn't whole and complete. The first thing I want to make sure that we qualify here in this study is that the conditions of life work together, and there is a kind of hierarchy that we've noticed in the conditions of life. Recently, there's been some work and some study that challenged the thinking of Abraham Maslow in his theory of motivation, and some of that thinking by brain scientists and some of their detailed and highly specialized work do pose some concerns about thinking today in the advanced, dynamic, ever-changing world we live in, uh, that, that Maslow's hierarchy of needs may need to be examined. But fundamentally, I think, I think Maslow had it right. Fundamentally, Maslow said that human beings have basic and fundamental needs and concerns. And until those most basic and fundamental needs are satisfied, then it is difficult, if not impossible for most, to even see themselves attempting to satisfy higher needs. In terms of the conditions of life, what we are talking about is a condition, the state or the circumstance that affect the way we as human beings live our lives, how we work and how we behave, the state of affairs that must exist or be brought about before something is possible, those conditions can be identified. And the most fundamental and basic condition that we all have to take care of if we're going to live a good life is our health. It's our, it's our biology. We borrow the term biology from John Dewey, who says the best way to talk about this thing that is our body and our brain and our psychology and our physiology and the, uh, the whole mix of it, that whole thing is simply our biology. So, though as a biological creature, our most basic and fundamental concern has to be our health. If you've got your health, you've got everything. And it is difficult to satisfy any other higher condition of life, having an effective relationship or running around in society and functioning in a powerful way or making any money or producing a career identity if you aren't healthy. Once we come to terms with the fact that we have a healthy body and a a healthy and sane and, and maybe even an ambitious mind then we can go to work, actually, engage in the activity of life. And we identify another of the most basic fundamental conditions of life that has to be taken care of before you start to see yourself transacting for higher states or higher conditions is this condition we call work, which fundamentally is just the, the activity of life. Work, you could actually replace the title of this condition of life, work, with activity. Human beings move and they move around with this, this healthy body, but it's not enough just to move around. It's not enough to just acknowledge that human beings engage in the activity of life. You've got to be able to, to mentally organize and understand and be able to navigate this environment where this body moving around exists. and We call that condition of life knowing. We borrow that from our buddy John Dewey as well. Knowing is a series of organizing acts, or to make it simpler, organizing acts. To know something, we assert from John Dewey that you've got to be able to organize the acts of that thing. To know something, to truly know something, and to be able to use that healthy body and move that thing along in the environment where we attempt to exist, we call that knowing. So these three most fundamental conditions of life are biological conditions of life and once you've taken care of as a as a human being your ability to move around navigate the environment do it in an effective way then then as maslow asserts in his theory we assert the same that other conditions of life begin to emerge conditions like your need for relationship a healthy intimate relationship with another human being the need and wants that human beings have to have a family to raise children to take care of their their family their parents and and others in their most intimate uh, relationships the, we, so we see other concerns begin to emerge how we how we function in society the condition or the state of our identity out there and as we know from our study, that career is the identity of help we offer in specific ecologies. How are you known out there in the groups where you attempt to function as help career? There are others. Ethics, the state or condition of your character, how you, are, how you represent yourself, what, what you are willing to do and not do as a statement of your character out there, in the world and with the people where you attempt to transact? What about just the ability and the, the functionality that you have in dealing with other people? We call that condition sociality, functioning among others. And like Maslow, we accept that once you begin to start to take care of this second level of condition of life, we call sociolinguistic conditions or linguistic conditions, because it takes some facility with the with communication with with language to be able to function well in these conditions once you have demonstrated and begun to satisfy things like your ethics your need and want for relationship your need and want to be known in your social constructs as help as a career identity and a big one of course is money none of us can can enjoy a good life if we don't have some ability to transact effectively in the economies where we buy objects and we trade objects, money is a a more and more predominant and pervasive condition of life, you then begin to recognize the need for other conditions that begin to emerge. And it's in these higher conditions of life that you find people who are at work on things like their legacy. Again, one of reiterate and emphasize that this is an inquiry into how we might identify, how we might categorize some sets of actions and behavior and thinking and philosophies. And Legacy is one of those conditions of life that emerges for us over time. You don't hear people in their 20s and 30s talking much about their legacy. They're not concerned about it. It hasn't emerged as a concern that they want to take care of but over time as you have have experienced life and you've got you've had some facility with life you have have demonstrated your ethics you've had a family and you've contributed to society you have satisfied your need for money generally speaking you you've you've satisfied all of these lower conditions you begin to concern yourself with some things that are more uh, prevalent in in a larger society, things like politics, things like like beauty and play, things like your your fittedness to be able to contribute to society, things like the environment and of course your legacy. And some of the work that's going on in influence ecology around these higher uh, conditions of life are certainly worth studying. For those of you who Uh, haven't examined some of the early work that you did in the Fundamentals of Transaction program, it might be useful for you to go back and remember that that when you first heard this whole concept of conditions of life, it might not have meant anything to you. But in time you, you came to realize that the only reason that human beings transact is to satisfy a condition of life or a set of conditions of life. That's why it is so important for you to know your aims in each condition of life And to be able to recognize quickly what it is in terms of aims that others with whom you intend to engage and transact, uh, what are the aims that they carry? What are the aims that other people have? In what condition of life? Because human beings only transact to satisfy one or more conditions of life.
2: In our next episode, we feature an interview with Luisa da Silva, a CEO who immigrated to the U.S. from Brazil. Luisa found that her stream of new ideas created fires her team had to extinguish. Previously overworked, stressed, and unhealthy, she's now planned for and living a balanced and focused life.
0: All of that kind of strategic thinking, I completely skip usually, and I just go straight to, oh, I saw something, it looks really good, the price is right, whether or not I can afford it, I haven't really looked at my cash flow even depending on that day, and I just go ahead and buy it and I create these fires for my team where they now have to deal with this new software that I have no idea how to use that I barely spent five minutes looking into.
1: If you'd like to know more about Influence Ecology and our approach, check out our webinar Ambitious Living, The 8 Defining Principles. The webinar is available globally we'll teach you the core principles practiced by the most successful and effective men and women we know. This webinar is for those who aspire to an influential life that provides measurable satisfaction for themselves, their family, and their organizations. This webinar is specifically designed for those who don't want to sacrifice a well-balanced life for superior financial rewards. They want it all. To find out more, you can find the link in the show notes for this podcast at influenceecology.com forward slash podcast. That's influenceecology.com forward slash podcast. Or in the US or Canada, you can text the word ambition to 805-262-9008. And we'll send the registration link right to your mobile phone. Again, text the word ambition to 805-262-9008. Also, in our show notes, you'll find all the links to websites, books, or special downloads mentioned in this podcast.
2: If you enjoyed this podcast, please find us on iTunes and subscribe, review, like, and share. Help to get the word out and make this podcast a huge success. Thank you for another great episode of the Influence Ecology Podcast. I'm your host, John Patterson. I want to thank our guest, Sue Romberg, for such a powerful interview. I just loved speaking with her. This podcast is made possible by the brilliant work of the Influence Ecology staff, mentors, and members around the world. We're very grateful for co-founder Kirkland Tibbles and his 30-plus years of specialized study and practice that have made all of this possible. And finally, thanks to our producer, Jason Kelly and Marcus Bell, editing and music by Bellringer Productions, Music Supervision, Dashley LeCorpse and Marcus Bell.